I can promise you that whatever is going on in your life or going on in the life of those you love, you can trust God. He's powerful enough to do what He planned, and He's kind enough to do what's for your good. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. What does the Bible mean when it speaks about God's providence? Do things in life occur by mere chance, or are they part of a predetermined plan beforehand? Hi, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom is continuing in his current series with part eight of Ruth. We're looking at the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, specifically at all that God was accomplishing in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Well, today, Tom will continue to look at how God arranged the various circumstances for the good of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. And as you'll discover, how his arranging the circumstances of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz would ultimately be in keeping with his long-standing promise to Jacob. But which promise and how? Keep that in mind as we join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. Ruth chapter 2, verse 2. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. This is important at this point. I don't think we really grasp how desperate these two women were. Whatever supplies they had brought with them from Moab have now run out. So Ruth immediately has to begin to think about how they can actually survive, how they can acquire the food they need just to keep on living. And she has a plan. They've arrived at the beginning of the barley harvest. And so she intends to glean, the word is. That word means to gather the scraps left by those who are harvesting the, the grain, the barley. In other words, she's going to come behind the reapers and pick up any ears of grain that the harvesters either left uncut with their manual slings or that they accidentally dropped. Now, probably she had learned from Naomi, Ruth had, that the Mosaic law required the, the landowners to allow gleaners, to allow those who came behind the harvesters to get the scraps. This is stipulated in a number of places. Turn back to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19 and verse 9. Now when you reap the harvest of your land... You shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger, the person who doesn't belong to Israel. I am Yahweh your God. Turn over to chapter 23. Chapter 23, verse 22 When you reap the harvest of your land, moreover, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleaning. In other words, don't go back and pick up the scraps. 
You are to leave them for the needy and the alien, the the sojourner. I am Yahweh, your God. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy 24, verse 19. When you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf, that's that's a bundle of grain now that you've harvested and tied together. That's a sheaf. You've forgotten a sheaf in the field. You shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, for the widow, in order that Yahweh your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And this isn't just true for grain. Verse 20, when you beat your olive tree, they would beat the olive tree to cause it to shed its fruit. You shall not go over the boughs again. In other words, don't go back saying, I want to get every last olive. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. Same thing is true with the grape harvest. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not go over it again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. Now, what do we learn from those verses? God demanded that those harvesting grain deliberately leave the grain in the corners of the field. In addition, they weren't to go back over the field after it had been harvested and and pick up the scraps. Moreover, if in the process of all of that, they bound a bundle of grain together in a sheaf and they accidentally forgot it and left it behind, they weren't to go back and pick it up. Instead, All of these things were to be left as God's way of caring for the poor, the disenfranchised, and the sojourner. You know, you can see in this law the compassion of God for those who are needy. The point of these commands for us is crystal clear. God is concerned about the needy, especially among his people, and so should we be. What does Paul say in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10? While we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially those of the household of faith. That's what God was doing with these laws. You know, the other thing we learned, though, is God's wisdom in this. We learn how God provided for the needs of the poor. And there's there's a way other than outright gifts. Those were not the only way to care for the poor, although at times... That was appropriate. But another way that God provided for them was by giving them an opportunity to work and provide for themselves. This is what's going on here. In fact, look back in Ruth and look at verse 7. Ruth chapter 2, verse 7. She said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. This is a report of the the foreman, Boaz's foreman, to Boaz. Thus she came and has remained from the morning. She came early in the morning to the harvest fields as the harvest work began. Now go over to verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening, till dark. And then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of grain, of barley, or an ephah of grain. 
You see, Ruth worked from early in the morning until dark. And then after dark, she beat it out and winnowed it to get the grain. The result of her long day's work was about five and a half gallons of grain. About enough to care for these two women for two weeks. During the harvest time, you would have grabbed just a few hours of sleep. And then you would have been back up early morning, out in the field again, gathering more. Because all you had to eat on the rest of the year is what you gathered during those months of harvest. So one way that God provided for the poor required their working, and they're working hard. I think sometimes we lose sight of that in our, in our efforts to help. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, When we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he's not to eat either. So, back to Ruth and back to the story. God has, had established this provision in the Mosaic law so that he could care for the poor. And clearly at this point, Ruth and Naomi are dirt poor. In fact, we're going to learn later in the chapter that they didn't have food for that day. The only thing, the only way they had something to eat was what Boaz gave to Ruth at lunch. She carried some home so that Naomi could eat that night. But don't miss a key point here. It is an amazing act of God's providence and an expression of his compassion that these two destitute widows arrive at the beginning of, of the harvest. Barley was the first crop harvested in Israel, so they would be there and could gather through the entire season of harvest so that they would have enough to last them for the year ahead. Now look at Ruth chapter 2, verse 2. Ruth the Moabite has said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. Why would she say that? I thought it was a law. They had to allow it. Well, Ruth was a widow, and she was a a sojourner in the land of Israel, so she was qualified to glean from the fields on both counts. But the fact that she was a foreigner also made it likely that the locals would not be quick to accept her. That was why she had to find someone who would show favor to her. Although the Mosaic law demanded that she be allowed to glean, greedy landowners found ways around the law. Their reapers would literally reap the field clean so there was nothing for the poor to have, so they would go to another field. Or the workers would leave some things as commanded, but then they would harass anyone who came to glean so that they could push them on to another field so that the landowner could keep the rest. Sometimes the owners would simply forbid gleaning altogether. Ruth's situation was worse because she was not only poor, she was not only a widow, but she was a foreigner. So she needed to find a landowner who would show her grace or favor. That was Ruth's plan. Notice verse 2 says, And Naomi said to her, Go, my daughter. Naomi agreed that if they were going to survive, this plan had to be put in action. Verse 3, so she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of the field 
belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now, that, that's a strange expression, the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. At, at that stage in Israel's history, grain fields were often not marked with fences and, and hedges, but rather there would be one large field and each person's section would be marked off with stones. This may be what it means. It may mean literally the portion of the larger field marked off as belonging to Boaz, However, it's possible that the writer simply means the field that belonged to Boaz. Now that brings us to the second half of verse 3. And the second half of verse 3 is one of the most important statements in the book of Ruth and one of the most remarkable statements in all of the scripture. Look at it. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now, you don't pick up all that's there in English. In the Hebrew text, the statement is intentionally charged with great irony. Here's literally how it reads. Her chance chanced upon the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. That's literally how the Hebrew text reads. Her chance chanced upon the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, this is a bit of a confusing thing for us. I mean, pagans around Israel often spoke of chance. Here's one example. The Philistines in 1 Samuel 6, 9, you remember with the ark, they're trying to decide if, if God had brought the disaster on them or if, or if not. And they said, let's watch and see if this cart on which we put the ark, if the cows go by the way of their own territory to Beth Shemosh, then Yahweh has done this great evil. But if not, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us. It happened to us, what? By chance. Just, just by chance. That's how pagans thought. But the Jewish people didn't think this way. This is not how Jewish people saw the world. In fact, Proverbs 16.33 shows us just how much they saw God involved in the details of our world. They said the lot is cast into the lap. This is a, a Jewish proverb, a common saying. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Every roll of the dice, to use a modern expression, is set by God. So why would a Jewish author say her chance chanced upon the portion of the field belonging to Boaz? It is to highlight exactly the opposite. It is to make a point. It is an intentional method to draw attention to how unimportant and how accidental this event appears when, in fact, it carries such huge historic consequences. Daniel Block writes, This is a deliberate rhetorical device on the part of the narrator. By excessively attributing Ruth's good fortune to chance, he forces the reader to sit up and take notice to ask questions concerning the significance of everything that's happening. The statement is ironical. Its purpose is to undermine purely rational explanations 
and to refine the reader's understanding of providence. In reality, listen carefully, Block says, in reality, the author is screaming, see the hand of God here. The same hand that had sent the famine and later provided food is the same hand that brought Naomi and Ruth to Bethlehem precisely at the beginning of the harvest. And that is the very hand that has now guided Ruth to that portion of the field belonging to Boaz. It was by God's hand that Ruth comes to the field of a man, not only a man in whose eyes she would find favor, but a man who is related to her dead father-in-law, Elimelech. She chanced upon a chance. This is what theologians call God's providence. What is providence? Well, let me give you a dictionary definition. It is a careful arrangement prepared beforehand for the accomplishment of predetermined ends. But let me give you a theological definition. This is from Thomas Watson. It is God's ordering all issues and events of everything after the counsel of his own will to his own glory. That's what we're reading in Ruth chapter 2, verse 3. You see, in creation, God brings everything into existence. But in providence, God preserves everything that he made. We see that in a number of places, like Colossians 1, he upholds all things, or Hebrews 1, rather, he upholds all things. Colossians 1, all things consist through him, or held together. But he also governs everything that he created to ensure that all the purposes for which he created them are accomplished. This is God's providence. And it is all-inclusive. Turn with me to Psalm 135. Psalm 135. I want you to stay with me because this is coming to a very personal application. Psalm 135, verse 5. For I know that Yahweh is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever Yahweh pleases he does in heaven and whatever he pleases, he does in earth and in the seas and in all the deeps. Daniel chapter 4 verse 35 has Nebuchadnezzar saying this, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but the true God does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? And I love Ephesians 1.11. We have been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. This is our God. So, go back to Ruth. What was God doing in Ruth chapter 2 verses 1 to 3? God was arranging all of the circumstances for the good of these people, for Ruth's good, for Naomi's good, for Boaz's good, for their immediate good. These women needed food that day. But they also needed 
care for the rest of their lives. And and God is in the process of looking out for their long-term good as well. At the very same time, listen carefully, at the very same time God is doing that, God was arranging these circumstances to ensure what he wanted to happen three generations later when he would keep his promise to Jacob and raise up a king from the tribe of Judah, David, the great-grandson of Ruth and Boaz. Leon Morris writes, This passage points to the truth that men do not control events, but that the hand of God is behind them as he works his purpose out. It was the fact that she came to this field and no other that was to lead to her acquaintance with Boaz and the subsequent marriage with all that involved, including, for example, the birth of David. That's amazing. That's amazing. But even that wasn't all that God was doing that day in that field outside of Bethlehem. Ruth and Boaz, listen carefully, Ruth and Boaz had to meet that day in that field so that 1,200 years later, their greater ancestor, their greatest ancestor could be born, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can even go one step farther than that. Ruth and Boaz had to meet in that field that day so that more than 3,000 years later, he could save you. Because it was from their meeting in that field that the Messiah came and that he purchased your redemption. In a sense, all of human history hung on God's providentially directing Ruth to that field that day. Do you realize, do you understand that it's no different with you? God in his providence, governs everything he created to ensure that all the purposes for which he created them are accomplished. Ephesians 1.11, he works all things after the counsel of his will. That's just not biblical characters. That's you. That's your life. That's your circumstances. There is never truly chance in the life of a believer. God just as intricately arranges the details and circumstances of your life as he did the life of Ruth that day. We learn here, by the way, that God's providence isn't simple. You know, when we think about the things that happen in our lives, what's the question we ask? wonder why this is happening. wonder what God's trying to teach me. What's the one thing God is doing? What's the one lesson God's trying to teach me? Listen, that is way too simplistic of a view of God. Was God doing just one thing that day in that field? Absolutely not. God is so much bigger than that. Our God is always arranging the circumstances of our lives to bring himself the ultimate glory and to care for those who belong to him, just as he did with Ruth and Naomi. Listen, I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what all the circumstances of your life may be. I don't know what's happening in the lives of those you love. But I can promise you this. God, our God, the one true and living God, is every bit as much involved in those circumstances as he was that day in the field outside of Bethlehem. 
And he has a purpose. He has a plan. I can promise you that whatever is going on in your life or going on in the life of those you love, you can trust God. He's powerful enough to do what he planned and he's kind enough to do what's for your good. Yahweh moves heaven and earth to care for his own. Think of what he did to snatch Ruth from her paganism. Think of what he did to bring Boaz and Ruth together in that field that day. Think of what he did to accomplish your salvation. Listen, God is big enough. He's big enough for you to trust him. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part eight of his current series, Ruth. Join us next time for part nine as Tom once again brings us to God's Word. You know, in a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of the Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at the Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional radio series from The Word Unleashed. That's all at thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.